Today on Paradoxical, I am joined by Jesse Stedman of Trash Panda Disc Golf. Definitely the most interesting business name of anybody I've had on the podcast. Jesse, how are you doing today? Doing great. And I love that you, the name stands out. That's, that's part of the goal. So yeah, doing great. Stoked to be here. So we're going to definitely talk a little disc golf, but also talk a lot about business and a lot really about the environment and about recycling and such, because there's so many different things about your journey and your story that I think are one really important to the world, really interesting and a lot from a business standpoint, that's cool too. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. I know you started the business in 2020, but uh, from what I understand, you actually had like the idea for what would later become Trash Panda in 2008. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I started playing disc golf back in 2008. And so the whole time I was playing disc golf for 12 years, I kind of just always thought someone should be using recycled plastic, especially back in 2008. Like we're all a bunch of hippies who are out here. Why isn't there more recycled plastic in this sport? I was environmentally aware, but I wasn't like the most, I, I didn't grow up in like an environmental activist home or something like that. And so I didn't really understand the complexities of plastics. I was just like, this is plastic. It could be recycled plastic. Why not? And that kind of just simmered. And I waited for someone else to do something for 12 years. So what was it that got you to finally say, all right, well, no one else is doing this. So I guess I'm going to. It's interesting. The way you framed our conversation today was three things. It's a little bit of disc golf, a little bit of sustainability, a little bit of business. And Trash Panda really is that Venn diagram for me. It was my desire to start something. I am a maker and a builder, and I've always thought I would build some kind of business or something like that. Plus, I'm a disc golfer and do what you love. You never work a day in your life. I think someone said that one time. And then additionally, I kind of am just wired in a way where I need purpose behind what I'm doing. I need to be doing something that goes beyond myself because when things get tough, I, I need to have something that's bigger than me that lasts beyond when I'm, when I'm dead and gone. And that convergence is kind of what ultimately led me to start the company was, Hey, I have these three things coming together. It also was 2020 right in the height of the pandemic where ironically enough, that was a massive boost for the sport of disc golf because you see disc golf, it's an outdoor, socially distanced, accessible, affordable sport. I, I believe golf also had a significant boost during the pandemic, but where golf has a little bit of a higher bar to entry where you have to have clubs, you have to be able to pay 99% of disc golf courses around the world are free to play. And you can buy a starter set for 20 bucks and you can play for a year having spent 20 bucks. So that was kind of all the things happening at once, I guess, stars aligning. And then you literally started this business in your garage by making your own equipment yeah. to <laughs> do the recycling and the manufacturing. So like to me, I mean, I'm not a big maker personally. I have a ton of respect for makers and I wish I was one sometimes, but I'm like, oh my God, that seems like such a, a, a huge undertaking. How did you go about doing that? What inspired you to do that? And what was that experience like? I know you've captured some of it, like your first YouTube video for the, your YouTube yeah. channel is showing you like doing some of the initial welding and such. So what was that experience like for you? A lot of that experience is blocked out now 
because of the year of working in a garage in Denver, Colorado that it was. But my dad was always like, I'll fix it kind of mentality. And so I wasn't necessarily like, while I'm a maker, that's a hobbyist part of me. It's not like I'm not an engineer by trade. And so it was kind of just this idea of, I want to do this. I guess I'll just start where I know to start. And that's probably the single biggest key to starting this company and how I got here was a significant amount of naivete. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to start. I didn't know any of that. And I just went for it. And I genuinely think had I known now or had I known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have started. I've heard that across the board with some other companies too, podcasts and such. Yeah, totally. That's not, not the first time I've heard somebody I'm say sure. that. So perhaps ignorance is whether or not it's bliss, it at least is, is good for uh, good for business and um, good for, in this case, for the environment as well, Yeah, <laughs> which I can understand because it's, like you said, it took you like what, two years to get from the point where you had like your first prototype to actually have a product you were ready to put out into the world. Is that right? Yeah, our flagship product, which is an actual disc golf disc or a Frisbee, you could just call it. The first one, it took two years from prototype, like first ever prototype to actually releasing it to the world. What were the steps and different iterations that you had to go through to get that dialed in from, okay, here's this, look, I made my own recycled disc to this is a product I feel good enough about is high enough quality that it's a thing that I'm going to sell. Yeah, the way you said high enough quality is crucial in terms of a business built on recycled plastic. Because a lot of people think when it comes to sustainable products, the baggage we carry to that conversation, whether we realize it or not, is more expensive, less quality. That's what I'm expecting this product to be. It's going to cost me more and it's not going to be as good. I remember back in high school, maybe when like the first straws made from biodegradable plastic came out and you like got a hot coffee with a straw in it and the straw literally was gone. <laughs> right. It just melts and dissolves yeah. in your coffee. It's like, mm, great. Yeah. So it, it was whether I was able to make a disc or not was not the question because making a disc was ultimately not that hard. Whether I was able to make something that was high enough quality for me to be confident to bring it out to the market. That was what took two years. So it was the learning curve of plastics and all that is to be there. It was the learning curve of injection molding plastics. It was the learning curve of recycled plastics. But then on top of all of that too, we had one unique problem that I did not necessarily anticipate. And that was that I decided to get word out about the company and to, to bring people along for the journey. Cause I didn't want to do it alone, even though it was going to just be me for the first year or two, I decided to create a YouTube channel from day one. And so I would post a video every single week detailing out our story and the progress we've made and stuff like that. And that channel started to get traction to the point where by the time we officially released our first disc to the world, we had 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. And Damn. so my background before this is in marketing and it was fully introspective because I say as a content creator, the, the best recommendation I have for people. And I think what makes me the best content creator is that first I'm a content consumer. So I was watching YouTube for years before starting the company. And when I started to think about the inception of the company, 
I started to think of these different YouTube creators I'd been following for like four years. And I have never commented on a video. I have never liked their videos. I've never engaged with them. If I walked by them on the street, they wouldn't know who I am. But I have this sincere feeling that I want them to win. I want them to be successful. And when I was thinking about that, building a company, not only did I want, you know, Kevin Kelly calls it a thousand true fans. Not only did I want to build that, but I additionally wanted to build it in a way that it wasn't for me to win, but it was for our mission. It was for the goal of growing the sport of disc golf sustainably. So we all would seek that together. So yeah, the idea was there from the beginning because of the content I was consuming. This big picture perspective that you have, it, it's so obvious through so many different aspects of your work, what you're talking about right now. But also I was thinking about that as looking at the the naming of of your first disc, the the inner core, hmm. which I, you know has has multiple meanings, although they're not necessarily immediately obvious. So let's let's talk about that and what its name is and how you came to that name. I don't know if other founders would resonate with this, but I have this like ability to, to be at 10,000 feet and to be at one foot at the exact same time. And it's exciting and crippling at the same time. Sometimes I'm just overthinking the details while also thinking about the implication of this detail five years down the line. As far as the disc name, it really came down to, again, naivete. I thought I would have the first disc out in a matter of months when I started. I thought it was going to be easy. I, I genuinely thought I'll make a disc out of recycled plastic in my garage. How hard could it be? And anyone in injection molding, recycled plastics, et cetera, knows that that was impossible to do in my garage. And with that, looking back on two years, I couldn't have made it that far without the support of everyone. Because while the disc is our flagship product, we had released some other disc golf accessories, merch, Patreon, things where the community could support. And knowing that we couldn't have released that disc without the people. So of course, scale was like this, the demand was this problem that I had to solve for, but it was also the very reason I was still in existence and could do it. I just felt like the name had to be a dedication to those people. If you're buying this disc right now at the release, this one is for you. And Intercore, with our style of naming discs that revolves around the planet, just fit too perfectly. The way that you did the design for the, you know, for the name as it's stamped on the disc, or is it, I guess, is it called stamped when in this process versus like embossed? Yeah, you're talking about on the bottom of the disc? Yeah, on the bottom of the disc. Yeah, so it's it's engraved into the mold and thus it's embossed on the disc. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I just want to use the right terminology. But the, the the logo design for the name of it is cool too, the way it makes use of the injection mold structure and all of that. So yes. it's very, very, very I will cool. forever, thank you for saying that, I will forever be so proud of that. I think design constraints are like a gift. And the fact that every single disc that's been injection molded since the seventies and the inception of this sport has that on the bottom of it and no one had yet designed around it. I just thought what a cool way to utilize that design constraint. So that one, that one was really fun. 
And it really is. And it's, it's shocking. <laughs> one of those things where you're like, how has no one come up with this? Sooner? Yeah. But it's a, it is, it is great. And so again, I'll, I'll direct people to check the link in the show notes to, to go take a look and see the inner core, what the disc looks like on the inside. And w- while we're talking about that and constraints and product and things, I want to divert a little bit into some of that before we come back yeah. to the timeline. A couple of things. One, I know you've talked about this a lot in your videos your discs do not have any foil stamping on them, unlike a lot of discs and Frisbees. So share a little bit about the the thinking behind that and why that is. Very simple. The foil and the way that it stamps onto a disc, the adhesive that it uses, which is just another type of plastic that just melts to adhere it, creates contamination in the recycling process long-term. So it affects the long-term recyclability of the disc And on top of that, the waste created in the process of stamping, because you take like, say you have a nine by nine sheet and you stamp out of that sheet, the design, most of it is typically waste, which also cannot be recycled because of all of that. It was a relatively simple decision while also being a, if our brand was not built on this transparency and integrity no one would have said, Hey, like no one was talking about that process and no one would have said, Hey, you can't be doing this on your discs. But the fact is like, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee that it was creating that waste and it would create problems down the line. And because of that, it was just a simple decision of we're built on transparency and authenticity. So we won't be doing this until we can find a solution that ultimately is not creating waste and not affecting the future recyclability. And that's something you've brought into mind, even as it relates to your packaging, correct? Oh yeah. I mean, a Coke bottle, just a Coke, plastic Coke bottle. The bottle's PET, the cap is HDPE. That little gel insert is gonna be a different type of plastic and that little wrapper on the outside is a different type of plastic, let alone whatever that glue adhesive is holding that wrapper on it. So the complexities of recycling something as simple as the single most produced plastic product worldwide, like a single use bottle, if those were designed to be recycled, they would look completely different. But the design from day one wasn't about this getting recycled in the future. So that's a whole other topic, but yes, we're using recycled plastic and I want to see these get recycled in the future as well. And then for like, again, your, your external packaging, when you ship things and such, you're using boxes and ink on the boxes and even tape on the boxes. That's all of that stuff, right? Is fully recyclable. Yes. There's a lot that happens in business. That's luck. And one of the big pieces of luck for us is that one of the largest recycled and sustainable packaging companies in the U S is a couple miles up the road from us. So we're able to work directly with them, pick up directly from them. It's, it's an awesome relationship. Our boxes are 100% recycled cardboard. They're printed on them with algae ink, which is a wild technology. I really don't know that much about, but it's incredible. On top of all of that, we use paper tape, not plastic tape, which I've never even thought about plastic tape until starting Trash Panda. And our packaging inside, everything is recycled paper, whatever we have to use in there, no bubble wrap, whatever. So it's down to every single element of the package. 
And I, so I think that this is an example of where you, you talked a bit earlier about constraints in a design context as it relates to the, the logo for the inner core. But I think this is relevant here too, because for you, it's just so clear. Like there's this really clear thing for you of recyclability is key. Looking out for the environment is key here. And we're going to use that as a constraint for every, basically everything that we do. And while it has created some limitations, maybe about the exact nature of it, you're not, you know, putting 15 colors of ink on your, on your boxes. It doesn't mean you can't still do very nice, very professional, good looking packaging. Right. And so it's really about, I think that making, again, making that decision of this is who we're, we are going to be. And it sounds like that's something that's really, really core to you and has been from the beginning. Absolutely. If you define the lenses that you see the world through, then there are certain things you see because you're wearing those lenses and there are certain things you can't see. I can't even tell you the cost difference between recycled packaging and non-recycled packaging because the non-recycled packaging is just not an option for us. I don't even know the difference in cost and I know I'm probably paying more. I have to be. But when it comes down to it, that's what I see because these are the lenses. And yeah, I think there's something about probably the way I was raised in combination with just the way I see the world and what I value that leads me to maybe approach it that way. So you've been able to make, again, a sustainable, recyclable product, make the packaging, do all that, produce something that not only is a viable product that you can sell for a profit, but also a product that obviously there is demand for. You were able to build up this audience and this demand till you got to the point where as you're building up, so you've got the product that you are like, okay, this is good enough. This intercore disc is, yes, it's, it's there, it's ready. And as you said, at that point, you couldn't do this in your garage. And so talk about like how you made the shift of expanding that, of finding someone to produce it, finding, I imagine also the sourcing of the material was probably another challenge you had to face. So how did you make that leap to get to the point of being ready to actually put these discs out into the world? Denver is not a hub of manufacturing by any means. So the options out here are relatively limited, but I knew that I wanted something close to home because I wanted to be able to learn. I wanted to be able to show up if I wasn't getting a response. And honestly, just in terms of cost, I don't have to pay for shipping pallets of discs across the country or whatever it is. So I knew the U.S. was like, I wanted to manufacture inside the U.S., but really I wanted to manufacture in Denver. I really wanted everything located here. So I looked around, ended up finding a local contract manufacturer who was willing to take on the project. I will say, if you want to get your foot in the door with a contract manufacturer, my recommendation that's way easier said than done is don't show up with a a drawing on a napkin, but show up having built a machine in your garage and made 5,000 products and there's a demand for the product and they'll see the potential and want to take it on. So even though the bar was set very high because we use hundred percent recycled plastic, it was something that they were willing to take on because the demand and the, the concept had been proven, the market had been validated, etc. So that was 
basically I found a local manufacturer who we could, we agreed that I could also be there while the discs were being made as much as I wanted to, that I could just stand at the machine and learn and everything like that, which has proven to be incredible. And then on top of that, sourcing plastic became a whole other ball game. If you're trying to source, there are like some local recyclers who recycle specific plastics. And we were just looking for something that as far as discs are concerned, they need to be able to hit a tree and walk away. And realistically, your single-use plastic water bottle plastic, your classic like takeout container plastic, which is polypropylene, uh, plastic all over your house, which is HDPE, like those plastics are going to crack as soon as they hit a tree. So we were looking for something that was like on the high end of durability, which is used in the sporting goods, automotive and medical industries, not surprisingly based on that definition. So sourcing became a bit of a, a hurdle to get over a bit more of a hurdle, but you just develop relationships. You find people, you start calling, you keep going, you look under holes, etc. And we eventually were able to solve some of that. At least right now we can source based on the demand that we have. What is the the total volume of plastic that you have gone through in producing your discs to date, if you know that number? We do an annual impact report on our quote unquote birthday. So that's on June 5th. On June 5th, that number had crested north of 10,000 pounds. I would have to imagine that today that number is slightly over 15,000. And basically... It's a pound is two and a half discs. So that's roughly the amount of discs that are made. But then other products we have, like we have these markers, like mini markers, and those are, it's 16 per pound. So it just depends. But yeah, probably north of 15. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, the first batch of plastic I ever purchased was... I was like, I cannot believe I'm buying trash and I'm buying this much of it. I went over what I thought I should have. I th I think I was making a dumb decision and I bought 200 pounds. And then the most recent purchase of plastic was over 20,000 pounds. So it's, yeah, it's a completely different ball game. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. So I want to come back to the, to the launch. So tell me about for you, what that experience was like, because you, by that point had put in so much time and so much effort and you've, you've articulated it here for you as you're going through the build up to this and doing all this. And how did you stick with it? Like what kept you going to get to the point of the launch? There's a quote I love from this one female founder. I think it's Allie Kriegsman. Her book is sitting on the shelf behind me. And I think it says something, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I think it says something along the lines of being an entrepreneur is moving from one problem to the next with enthusiasm. I am still working on the enthusiasm part, but <laughs> really it is just trading one problem for the next. And you solve this one and something else comes up and you solve this one and something else comes up. And my biggest problem a year ago is not even close to a notable problem today. And my biggest problem today probably will not be of note a year from now, but that's kind of how you scale and move forward. And I think that for me, what keeps me going through that 
while I'm working on the enthusiasm side is it's my own fault. I have no one to blame but me. I signed up for this. To be honest, I love it. I love that responsibility. It was my choice to do this. And I've never really loved working for other people. I'm not too proud to admit that I don't think they loved me working for them either. And when it comes down to it, I will take these problems any day over working for someone else or a job I don't love, having that freedom to, you know, making a dream happen. It's always about choices and trade-offs. And it sounds like you're pretty clear on this is the deal that works for you. The the benefits that you get, the freedoms that you get are worth the trade-off of the ongoing challenges and the pressures. But it sounds like you've also gained the perspective of really understanding that problems are always a part of the process and it's really just about like what's the next problem working on solving that and that actually bigger problems are symbolic of bigger success and doing bigger things so in a way they're actually a good sign even though they're kind of a pain in the ass yeah when we launched the inner core someone said to me the the trial of getting there that last month before the release was like an all-out sprint and someone said at least your biggest problem is behind you and i was like "Mm, i think this just means that now that is my smallest problem (laughs) right maybe your biggest problem so far (laughs) yeah 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 exactly but you, you, you didn't stop there because since the release of the inner core, you've gone on and you have developed a second disc. Well, and actually I know you've got the minis too, but developed a second disc. Yeah. The Dune. So tell me about that. Like how, how long was it after inner core came out before you decided to start developing that second disc? Why did you do it? How was that process different from doing inner core? So yeah, the process was relatively the same, but learning what, looking at the inner core release saying, what did we do wrong and what mistakes were made and how can we fix those this time? And as we're looking now towards this next one, whenever that'll come out, same process. what did we do wrong with the Dune release? what did we do right? What can we iterate on? How can we improve? Following that iterative approach of really looking back and going, okay, what did we do well? What did we do wrong? What do we improve? How much did that help from the standpoint of both speed and end results in development of Dune? Ironically, it was the opposite you would expect of speed. The thing I did wrong most obviously with the inner core was pushing for it to be released quickly. So with the Dune, we just slowed down and we did it the right way and we didn't make the fastest decisions. We made the right decisions. So that was kind of the most obvious difference. And then the name, because I know there's, there's some symbolism in that name as well, because Dune is not an immediate name that anyone would associate with any kind of flying disc, at least not me. So, so share a little bit about that and how that name came to be. Yeah, the way our naming convention works, so there's every name will fall into this overall strategy, which is revolving around the planet. So in disc golf, you have putters, mid-ranges, and drivers. And basically, putters are inside the earth, mid-ranges are topographical on top of the earth, and fairway drivers are in atmospheric, if you will, in the sky. That's kind of our approach there. So topographical, we were looking around at different potential names and sand dunes kind of stuck out all of a sudden. 
as this concept of something that is made of so many small things. And our fundamental belief about sustainability is it's not about someone doing everything, but everyone doing something. So our approach was to tell this story because we see every disc as a world building and storytelling opportunity. So this story for us was while we may feel like our small actions don't matter, they actually do. And tiny grains of sand have the power to make up great dunes. So that was kind of the, the story behind the dune. Awesome. I love that. And I'm curious because I, I watched, I saw the release video. Where did you film that? Mars, right? It like looks so <laughs> yeah, otherworld. Like, so, it's like, I, I know that's Jesse, but where, where the hell is he? <laughs> My brother was like, did you go to the Sahara? There is a national park in Colorado called Great Sand Dunes National Park that just so happened to work out beautifully for that. When you're there, you can actually see mountains around it. And we made sure that shots were designed in a way that it truly felt otherworldly, that it didn't feel like we're here, but you know, and those are obviously Colorado mountains. We wanted it to feel like, no, this is the only thing for miles and miles and miles is sand. Which it, which it totally does. It's like, <laughs> it totally is like, he, no, he didn't go to like Africa for that, did he? Or something yeah. like I was, it wasn't sure. So uh, that, Thank that, you. That, that explains it. I figured there was probably a different, a different explanation, but I wasn't sure what it was. No, thank you. Thank you for saying that because that, that we're very proud of that one. So you, you know, you get this product, you get it ready. You've got this audience and you've got, you've got this amazing video I, I, that I, I watched that I love on your website. That's like, y'all it's basically launch day. So people can watch that video and then I'll give the version that's not necessarily in that video because there was excitement in that video, but based on the, the idea of your show, I'd rather offer this angle, which is I was so done with it. Like we'd been putting eight months of work into this disc, the story, the design, the problems we ran into solving them, everything. And then finally getting out to the world. I was just like, finally, <laughs> like I'm, I'm so tired of this. There were decisions made that probably lengthened that amount of time that didn't need to. And I don't think I'll approach the next, next disc release in that sense, but the road to get there felt so long. And I was so done. If you watch that video, my hair's brown. And if you watch the next video, my hair's bleached because that night I literally bleached my hair. And I haven't said this publicly. The single reason was I wanted to look in the mirror every single day and think it's not yesterday. Something's different today and we're past that and we can move on. So that's what was under the surface. It's a lot of excitement too, because I honestly am, am privileged to even say that that's how I felt because the idea was validated. The customers were there in droves and Shopify has this incredible integration. If you're an e-commerce brand where you can look at a visual map and see the sales going, it's just, it's such an exciting thing to experience. But on top of all that, I was just tired. I'm sure I can only imagine it has to be exhausting because all that time, all that effort and all of the, just the challenges that you, you had to go through, but, but great to see that it was a successful 
launch um, for sure. Yeah, thank and you. It, again, in the video, folks, you can see a little bit where they're showing this, this Shopify screens and you can see, and it's totally cool. You can see like people at right before launch, like sitting on their site, you can see yeah, where they are waiting. in the world and all of this stuff. And it's like, it's, it's crazy. Whoa, it's really, really, really cool. But I think you do make a good point of like, this process has elements of it that are just downright exhausting. So I'm guessing you probably have at least an idea of, and maybe you're already working on your next product. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Do you have any sense of when that's going to become available or is it again, a thing where it's like, it's, we're going to make sure we go about it as deliberately as we need to, to get it right or what? It, I wish we were at a place where it was like, we can now just go quickly because we know what to do, but every disc is ultimately different. So this one is still on that slow pace of doing it the right way and trying to iterate properly. So we are in the process and we'll see. Most likely we're looking early next year. So that's kind of the, the target at this point that we're aiming for. And so you're, and you're in, cause I knew you obviously started in your garage as we talked about and I believe you're in your second warehouse since moving out of the garage. Is that right? That yeah. you've, you've moved it. So how long, how long before you expand to an even bigger warehouse do you think? Well, I actually have a perfect answer for you on that. When we released the inner core, we moved into our first warehouse. When we released the Dune, we moved into our second warehouse. So really I'm just putting off the next release because we're going to have to move into a new warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope, I hope we can stay here for a little bit, but we're already filling up the space. So it's a good problem to have. Totally. All right. Great, great problem to have. So you're also, you're a B Corp, right? Yes, we actually have not rolled that out to our community yet and talked about the story behind that. I want to say it was late August that we found out. Because I think that was where I actually first heard of you. I was looking at you know newly certified B Corps and I was like, okay, one, I love the name and two, oh, really <laughs> interesting. So one, then yeah. congratulations on the certification. Thank you. And thank and you. Two, what for you prompted the decision to seek that certification? Because I know it's it's a fair amount of work and effort to to get that. Yeah, thank you for asking that because there was a there was something I wanted to mention earlier that fits perfectly into the to the answer to that question. Right now, if you go to apply to become a certified B Corp, it says there's a 14 month lead time just for someone to analyze your application, not to actually get approved. Luckily. That timeline wasn't true for us, though it still was an eight-month process from start to approval. And for me, it came down to really, it's as simple as one fundamental philosophy. I have always been Trash Panda's target audience. I started this company because I wanted to see it happen. I was playing disc golf and I thought it would be really cool to have recycled discs and I see myself as our target audience. So I think through decisions we make from that angle of if I was the consumer, what would I want? And again, the nice thing about that is I'm still a consumer of so many other brands. So I look at my approach to those and the primary philosophy for me is there will be decisions that I make that you can see, and there will be decisions that I make that you can't see every brand that's true for. I want you to know by the decisions I make publicly that you can trust the decisions I make behind closed doors. I look at brands that I respect and I feel that way about them. 
I don't know what happens behind closed doors, but I feel that way because of what they do publicly. I think Patagonia is a great example with some of their recent news this past year. If Yvonne Chouinard and team are deciding that, then what's happening behind closed doors has to be something that I can also respect. So Certified B Corp was a bar, like in terms of raising the bar, I wanted us to get there and no one was asking us to get there. Like we're going to have to explain what it even means to our community. Basically, it just means that a company has been certified according to certain standards to be social, ethical, environmental in their practices. And for me, that was a bar that I wanted us to get to. So that was, that was the reason. So you can know that decisions we make that you can't see are just the same as the decisions we make that you can see gives it a certain level of confidence in that because of some of the standards that need to be met in order to earn uh, a B Corp certification. I'll link the the website in the show notes too. And it is, it's for people who are curious about this worth checking out because you can get an understanding of how it works and, and what the certification is. It's not just yeah. some rubber stamp thing. It actually is a, a fairly elaborate process. Yep. One of my team members championed us getting across the finish line. And I told her, you should, you should help other companies do this because it's a high learning curve. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as, as you've talked, as, as you get bigger, you have bigger challenges and it's a never ending series of challenges. So I'm wondering if you have a current challenge, big or small, that you would be interested and open to unpacking and exploring with me a little bit here in our conversation today. Yeah. I mean, how many do you have time for is the question. The one, the, the primary thing that comes to mind is I've scaled a company beyond my garage. I've scaled a company in terms of finances, but scaling a company with people, scaling as far as employees are concerned and building a team is, I always want to be an expert at something I'm trying for the first time, which is such a interesting feeling. And this is one of those that I'm like, it's my first time. I can't act like I'm an expert. But yeah, I think the big hurdle I'm trying to cross right now, and I'm sure it's a constant hurdle, is what it looks like to scale people. For you, like, what are the concerns that you have as far as doing that? And what are the challenges you see for yourself in, in trying to do that? I'm, I'm probably not going to be unique in any way with what I'm about to say, but concerns include delegating responsibilities and of course the quality changing because I've edited a hundred videos in a row. And if you watch the first to the last, the editing has significantly gone up just by way of repetition. Then handing that off to someone, allowing them to learn like that too, and allow that dip almost in quality. That would be an example of a concern. Another concern is just the sheer commitment I have to this thing. Like I'm pushing for the success of this thing all day, every single day. There's not a day that's gone by in the last three and a half years where I haven't thought about Trash Panda. And with that, you know, employees don't necessarily have that where like actually it's almost healthy to not have that as an employee. <laughs> it's probably healthy to have that as a founder too, to be fair. You know, that's another concern. And then even hiring, like how do I know that I'm hiring well? Because 
a lot of the books that I've read about hiring say that you just have to learn as you go, which sounds like making a lot of mistakes. So, well, and I mean, as you've learned with making products, right, there's always mistakes that come as a, as a part of learning for sure. How much of Jim Collins's work have you read? I've read good to great. I've read the little appendix of good to great with the social sectors portion. And then what's his, what's his other main one? There's good to great. And there's good to great. There's built to last built to last. I've read built to last. Okay, so cool. I, so yeah, yeah so you, you've got the, the core stuff there. So, well then you're, you're familiar with his idea of get the right people on the bus. Yep. And the thing that I'm wondering here is if this isn't a spot where you're getting a little tripped up in more thinking about it in this tactical sense of hiring people and getting away from looking at the idea of, you know, what has helped you to be successful and effective here. You do have a team. It's just a small team. Mm -hmm. You know, what's worked well there, you know, what's needed at least so far with these things in the business. And so I wonder if there may not be some value for you in looking at that and really using that as a, as a space to at least start thinking about what are the qualities that define someone who has a space on our bus? Yeah, that is an interesting way to frame that question, specifically like getting the right people on the bus. What is my definition at this point of the right person? And then going from there, I thank you for reminding of that me of that. Every time I think of that analogy, it's like I needed to think of that right now. We can get lost in the tactical bits of the specific tasks associated with a job or that kind of a thing, but we forgot you get the right people because I'm sure everyone on your team has had to do different things, put on different hats at different moments, operate in different oh, yeah. ways. And it's that's the thing is it's not the skill set per se that's the key, at least the, the basic tactical skills. It's more about mindset. It's more about perspective. It's more about how they engage with the work and mm -hmm. to varying degrees, their commitment, which while I'm there, I'll say, I hear you that, yeah, probably none of us should be thinking about our businesses 24-7, but that doesn't mean you can't still have or find people who for whatever block of time they are taking care of business for trash panda who that may not, that can be their primary focus and something they care deeply about. It just may be people who have a little bit more in the way of boundaries than, than some of us sometimes can manage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good reminder. What else for you when it comes to the idea of scaling or is there in the way of like concerns or uncertainties for you? Probably the other, the other big one is just like, again, not, not new or unique in any way, but it's, it's losing, like creating culture with four people, five people is not that difficult, but scaling that culture as it goes beyond is another concern I have too. Yeah. Just losing trash pandas culture. And so while we're there for you, how would you describe that culture? Like what is, what is the trash panda culture? It's a culture of ownership. That's a huge value for me. And we, we all take ownership in what we do and the mission. It's a culture of, here's the thing, Steve, the answer to all of these things is just time. And I just don't want to take time to do them. You know what I mean? Like it, when it comes down to it, I just know that how do we scale people? How do we create, or even, you know, I, I can completely acknowledge that on the other side of 
going from five employees to 10 employees is maybe a better culture, but that's all going to take time. And I just, I don't know if I just am impatient or what, but honestly, I think all of these, as we're talking, just boil down to that time concern. You don't strike me as somebody who's impatient, at least from the standpoint of looking at it business-wise, because you spent two years getting a prototype refined to a point of being a product. I'm not sure I have that degree of patience. Well, I, I'm not going to say I did it without kicking and screaming. So yeah, I no, I, I apparently in the world of prototyping, two years is on the standard to quick side. So I, I'm, I take solace in that, but yeah. I mean, throughout those two years, had I known it would take two years, there were things where I was trying to go as fast as possible in 2020. So in November, 2020, I'm trying to go as fast as possible. I wish future me could have just showed up and been like, Hey, you're going to release this disc to the world in exactly two years. So chill out, you know, because that would have really helped me in that moment. So maybe I need to manifest that right now. Perhaps, but also I'm wondering while, while we're on this for you, what is your ultimate vision for what you would like to see Trash Panda become? The articulation of that is interesting because in many ways we have accomplished what I set out to do, which is I want to play disc golf with discs made from 100% recycled plastic. Very simply, that's kind of the idea. But in terms of the sustainable growth of the sport, that vision is, is never ending. It's always that carrot on the stick because it, we can keep going. We can become more sustainable. We can do more things. So for me, I, I haven't been able to really encapsulate it for people, but the genuine end here, the best case scenario for me is that Trash Panda goes out of business because every single disc manufacturer is making discs out of 100% recycled plastic. And now our value proposition is it doesn't look any different than everyone else's. And I can just go back to playing disc golf with discs made out of recycled plastic. So for me, that's the, the true end. We'll never get there at the end of the day. Yeah. One of the things you said earlier was talking about the idea of no one has to do everything if everyone does something, right? And so this brings back that question for me for you to, to turn to you of what is big enough at what point you feel like you're doing your thing or you're doing enough to be doing your part. YouTube plays a key role in our business model because our first goal is not to sell a product, but it's to inspire people because my actions can only be so much. But if I inspire you to take action and even better, if we inspire actions that inspire future actions, our impact can, I mean, will go beyond anything we could quantify. So for me, that is the thing. How much do you have to scale to be able to continue doing and growing that? I think that's kind of my choice. I, I think it could just be me in my garage doing that. And it could be as big as I want it to be. Right. And I'm pretty content with the size we're at right now. I want to get a little bigger, but I don't know. There's that trap in, in entrepreneurship as well of just like 
bigger, 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 bigger. And you get to one thing and then you want to get to the next thing. So I'm not sure it's determined by our scale. Did you get here by doing the things that you know, you're know you supposed to do or that you're pressured to do? Or did you get here in a different way? Like where you are today, I mean. As far as like me as a, just the way I see these things. I'm saying you growing Trash Panda to where it is. The way you've gotten to where you are, it sounds like in a lot of ways, not necessarily by following. You know, it's Some of it's hmm. common stuff, but not necessarily. So I'm wondering if for you, there's not a part of you that's getting a little caught up in that idea of you know being an entrepreneur and I'm supposed to scale. Hmm. And I'm like, but I'm also hearing that you're like, ah, past a point, I don't know what, how I feel about doing that. Yeah, And then I'm hearing what you're really wanting to do. And I don't know if you need to scale, not saying not to, but it's like one of those things of just because you could doesn't mean you should and doesn't mean it's necessarily a good idea. There's certainly plenty of companies that have killed themselves by growing. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually a fascinating book about that exact topic called Small Giants by Bo Burlingham or something like that. Maybe it's time I need to revisit that. It's about like companies who actively refused investment and decided to stay small and decided to become these small giants. And there's there's certainly no lack of possibility, especially in this day and age, where you can do very big things, right? From a from a relatively small even to medium size. And certainly there are there are trade-offs that come with taking on investment as an example on mm-hmm. other things. And I've had a few guests on who've talked about very deliberately and intentionally being like, I don't want to take on investment. And I'm willing to, to, man, to navigate the fact that that means only so much that I can, can I do in size? Cause yeah. it just really depends on what is, I think, and that would be the question I would encourage you to sit with too, is what makes this a good deal for me? And at what point from a scaling, getting bigger standpoint, does it shift in a way as far as what's required or what goes along with it, that it stops being a good deal from the picture of what I'm trying to do, why I'm here, my ability to do that, and all of those things. Well, welcome to what's going through my head right now, because honestly, I'm. it's funny that you said it that way, because I'm looking to my right, and on my desk, I have a note that says, what does it mean to make it? And there's room for me to fill out the answer. And when I wrote that, I was going to fill out an answer, And I have just continually pushed off putting an answer in because I'm not sure what it means to make it. And I think that's what I'm trying to define right now. So there can be such challenging questions to explore and unpack, but so important because if you're really not aware, right, of where you're wanting to go and what you're trying to do and what matters to you, you run the risk of ending up on someone else's path. Because there's mm-hmm. so much out there telling you what you could do, what you should do, what For blah, sure. blah, 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 right? And so I think that part of you that's like, I've got this here and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, that to me makes a lot of sense as far as the place where your focus beyond, of course, the day-to-day of, of the business and, and doing your videos could be. I'm with you. So for people who are interested in learning more about you, your products, your business, where would you suggest they start? I know you are all over the place online. So which, what, what would you suggest as a good entry point? Well, if we've done our job, then you can just Google Trash Panda and we should be right there. And if it's not right there, then we haven't been doing our job. On top of that, I would say specifically on YouTube, there's a lot there. 
it's it's very disc golf centric because that is where the the who we are as a company is inside of disc golf and so i would say go to youtube check out the channel see if there's a video that sparks your interest there might not be that's totally okay if not our website is probably the place to go there's a a little bit of an about us and stuff on the website so trashpandadiscgolf.com i actually i think your about page is great it's very one personable. And so it's just, it's just interesting. There's a number of really relevant videos. And, and so, especially for someone who's like, I, I don't care about disc golf, but I'm kind of curious about this business and the structure. There's some great videos there that are really get into some of that more and some of the history piece, but it's also just a really good example of something that is both, again, it's personal and it's professional. It gives mm-hmm. clarity about who you are and what y'all are about. And is it just feels you know accessible? It's like it's cool. I'm like I'm like I I want to go play disc golf now, right? And <laughs> it's like it's and it's really it's very entertaining and, and well done. So awesome! Thank you. That means a lot. We've spent again. I'll spend time in the clouds and in the tiniest of details, and that is a page where we spent time, and I'm proud of it. So thank you. Yeah, I think I think it definitely I think it definitely shows that it gives speaking of culture, right? It's I think that that comes through from that page. So it's it's cool. been I would say say time well spent. Well, Jesse, I'm I'm really appreciative of the time of you sharing and you know sharing some of the the behind the scenes stuff as yeah. well about about your experience here and and talking yeah. business and, and recyclability. I am as I think I said in the the initial message I sent to you. I am grateful that you're out there and folks such as yourself, because I think it we need people doing this sort of thing, right? Who are really aware of the planet and the impact of what we do and showing there are ways of doing business, of creating things that are mindful of the environment, that are mindful of the long term, and that are still viable. And so it's such a it's such a, I think, powerful and inspiring model. So I'm really grateful for you being out there for that, but also appreciative Thank of you. your willingness to come and, and be vulnerable here on the show. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate it. I would just say if anyone's listening and if I could just leave any parting words, we're, we're really good as a culture at seeing pieces of trash and stepping over them. Maybe consider next time you see a piece of trash, picking it up whether it's in the parking lot on the way into the grocery store, maybe it's on the disc golf course. If we've done our job today and you're out disc golfing, wherever it is, just once, just one time, try it. And it, yeah, it, it's a really cool thing. So grains yeah. of sand, right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jesse.